the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. It is April 10th, 2023, and welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we were bringing you the people and the organizations fighting for liberty across the nation and in your region. And today we have with us Joe Jorgensen, that we're going to talk with her. She was the uh, uh, Libertarian Party presidential nominee for the uh, 2020. Uh, she is also the uh, chair of the board for People for Liberty. She is currently doing that, and she teaches at Clemson uh, as well, where she has a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. So we're definitely uh, glad to have her on the show today to talk with her about some of her experiences. Before we get into that, let me introduce you to the rest of the panel. In our upper left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in Liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. In our lower left-hand corner, we have our screaming eagle of freedom, Tim Everett. He is a pilot in the state of California. My name's Jason. And I also (laughs) voted for Joe in the election. (laughs) Well, and I'm also a pilot, so we match. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just have a private pilot's license. Uh, it's been t- over 20 years since I've flown. All right. Well, we also have a penchant for uh, bourbon, too. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll explore all that and more over this (laughs) this episode. Uh, But uh, let let me bring in uh, some visuals real quick to to show people. These are from uh, Joe Jorgensen's 2020 campaign. And so you can see here, here's her web page. We can see different things about what some of her positions were. yeah, I'm sorry that I, that must be an old one because that that wasn't our logo. That was like the placeholder. I'm sorry, I should have told you that before the show. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. And then we had, also had a picture of Joe campaigning too, and this is her in front of her campaign bus uh, uh, from an article in the Indy Star, I guess. So, um, uh, so anyway, so uh, you know, obviously Joe was. Uh, uh, doing the ultimate thing, which is running for president as a libertarian. And that's, uh, uh, you know, my gosh, it's raising the banner for the whole nation there. Uh, So, uh, Joe, did did you want to describe a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe, So, I guess to get into it, what sort of led you into libertarian politics and and even in a path to liberty? We kind of talked a little bit about this on a prior show uh, about the uh, um, people for liberty. But I guess, you know, for this show, we'd love to hear that again. And, and what got you into the libertarian party? Yeah, well, libertarian politics is almost an oxymoron because I don't look at it as I'm in politics. And the reporters would ask me when I first became interested in politics, and my answer was, I still not, I'm still not interested. Uh, I look at voting libertarian and running for office as a libertarian as an act of self-defense, not a case of like the other parties, all of them, major and minor, who want to go out there and pass laws because they want others to live the way that they live. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, I guess there's no better summation than that, that (laughs) fighting for liberty is about self-defense ultimately. (laughs) I know you you had talked in in the uh, previous show about sort of what led you to liberty. And you said uh, George Orwell's animal farm. And I, you know, I, I, myself can't think of a better synopsis of of sort of how these things devolve you know when these people have great ideas and they they 
they have this idea for how to organize and in the end it devolves into some being a little more equal than others <laughs> you know the, the the book was so outrageous and by the way i haven't read it since fifth grade i probably need to go back and reread it but you know it, it was so outrageous in how different the laws were and yet with covid we saw exactly that with you know nancy pelosi and her hair salon you know yes. the rest of us are at home we can't go anywhere without a mask and we're certainly not allowed into hair salons but there she is in her hair salon and there's gavin newsom as you know in the french line you know so you talk about more equal than others and and the frustrating thing is I've never once well I was against the mask mandate. I was against shutting down businesses because it tended to hurt the small mom and pop businesses more than the large businesses. But of course, politicians get their donations from the large businesses. So, you know, they were they were fine and dandy with shutting down the small businesses. But, you know, even though um, I never, well, I never had, any, you know, I, I I was completely against the mask mandate. So here you've got people like Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom, uh, Gretchen Whitmer saying, yes, we need a mask mandate. Yes, we need to shut down the economy. But they're the ones who aren't being shut down, you know, so right. that that's right. what makes it worse. Well, and I think Lori Lightfoot crystallized it the most when she did the exact same thing that the other said, but she said, hey, I've got to look good. <laughs> so it was different for her. I'm, I'm representing the people. I have to look good. But for all the rest of you peons, that's the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that really is outrageous. Uh, as you mentioned, I teach at Clemson and, and I've got very strict, you know, when I give up makeup, tests. I give them all on the last day of class. And, you know, I don't give any special times. And every now and then I'll get an email. Hey, I know that, you know, the, that makeup day is on the last day of class, but could I possibly have my next week instead? And by the way, I'm free, you know, Tuesday from two to four or something like that. And I'll ask them like, okay, why are you so special that you should take it Tuesday and the other 357 students have to take it on the last day of class? And yeah. usually students will, you know, humbly email back, oh, geez, you're right, I shouldn't have asked. One time I actually had a student give me an answer as to why he was special enough that he needed his makeup at a different time. And that's just like, Lori, like, how can you be that? Oh, I can understand students doing that. You know, students do stuff like that all the time. But the mayor of a major city, that's just outrageous. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. and, and, and here we had the mayor of San Francisco, uh, London Breed, and she oh was, in a, yeah, she was in a club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she was she was there just just dancing without a mask and stuff. And she said, hey, it was Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> yeah. And she, was, yeah, and she was talking about the fun, the fun police, you know, the fun police. <laughs> the fun or some kind of nonsense oh, yeah, that's like that. right. The fun police. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's what she is. The anti <laughs> you know, but, but of course, you know, she gets to play poker at the table with the rest of the pigs and with our masks. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, what exactly, because I obviously wanted to step up and defend, uh, you know, our liberties, but was there anything in particular that inspired you to to run for in 2020? Uh, yeah, because it looks like you, you certainly ran in other years, too. I, I believe you were on the vice presidential. Uh, uh, did you win the vice presidential nominee in one of the years as well? Yes, in, in 1996. And then in 1998 is when I went back to get my Ph.D., and, you know, like Sean Lund had said, 
you know, life happens. And 2020 was just the first time that I really um, had the time to do it uh, after running for VP and, and that I felt prepared to do it. I, I actually, I believe I was the first person in the party to run for VP specifically, you know, now the delegates do elect, do nominate the VP candidate separately from the presidential candidate. But before me, none of them actually ran for it. And I actually ran for it, uh, partially because I didn't think I was ready to be at the top of the ticket. Hmm. I see. Okay. So Joe, yeah. I was I, I, I was wondering uh, during during the twenty twenty um twenty twenty um uh, campaign, I I got the impression or I, I read somewhere that you were against the building of the wall on uh, uh, the southern border. Could you could you explain that position a little bit, please? Well, no, I actually I I didn't say that. Um, okay. And, and here's where libertarian beliefs do vary widely. What, what I went around saying is that I would like immigration to be the way it was in the early 1900s when my grandparents came over. That, you know, hardworking people coming over to start businesses, as my grandfather did, and create a new life for themselves, but not handing them free phones, giving them free education, you know, handing out money. And of course, if we know if there's a known terrorist coming across the border, of course, we need to keep known terrorists out. But no, basically, I said I would like it to be back like it was in the 1900s, and it worked fine. Um, I did hear a TV personality talking about how, oh, it was dreadful, Um that's not really what my history book said. It said we became a melting pot of people from all different countries. And, you know, one group, you know, the Irish, the Italians, different groups at different times would be the ones that were discriminated against and would look down upon. But then, you know, there'd be a new group coming in and we assimilated just fine. But that's part of our problems now. Our, our Part of our problem now with the way they're doing it is they're setting up so many systems that they're preventing assimilation. And, yes. you know, we are supposed to be a melting pot where we become Americans. Now, that doesn't mean we, you know, give up our unique um, traditions. And my family's from Denmark. And, you know, at, at birthdays and celebrations, we do the little Danish, you know, little school thing. Uh, but, you know, yes, you need to read um English to fill out a government form. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, Spanish-speaking radio stations, for instance, or right. Spanish-speaking schools. But then we get into, we need to basically go back to Milton Friedman's idea of we get to vote with our feet, vote with our dollars. And, and people would find it to their advantage to be assimilated. But, you know, of course, we don't have to have a law requiring people being assimilated. But right now, the way it's set up is it's preventing people from being assimilated. I, mean, I, totally, I totally agree with that, you know. And, um, you know, the, we, are, we are setting up a, a bunch of cultural, cultural ghettos here in the United States. And I really have a problem with that. But I was wondering something, though, since the Biden administration... Um, since since Joe Biden came to power, about five million people or so, I don't I don't know what the exact number is, but it's somewhere up there, have walked across the border with no 
we we have no idea of who these people are you know what their intentions are here in the united states or anything like that what 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 do you feel about that by the way well a lot of the people who are coming across if you listen to them they're not coming across for the reasons that people earlier came across which is the people who are resourceful and wanting to start their own companies they're kind of coming across and saying where's my free phone because that's the message that he's given to them and yes. and and you know like we heard about the atrocious story about the people in hotel rooms who you know were saying well, these accommodations aren't good enough. Now, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep hardworking people coming across. But it's just that Joe Biden's message is um, perhaps looking for people to come over and live off of our largesse instead of becoming a part of our country, uh, becoming productive. You know, and maybe I could jump in here, but James, could you bring up a visual? So there was a, a story from uh, Business Insider here, but I remember this this came out and and there were all these migrants coming across. And this this is kind of uh, it hits you, uh, the, uh, the the nail on the head, I think, with this. But uh, the, the idea that all these migrants would come across wearing Biden T-shirts, you know? <laughs> which is just, you know, absolutely insane. Uh but, you know, we also saw these issues, too, with like uh, train cars uh, full of uh, kids that were unaccompanied by by parents that were yeah. also showing up. And these are all kind of signals of clear distortions in the migration system, you know, where. Right. And, and so, yeah. So so you had people saying, well, I'm here because Joe Biden said I could come here. And where's my apartment that you're going to give me? You know, when my grandparents came over and three of my grandparents are you know, were immigrants. Uh, when they came over, they didn't say, well, I came here because the president told me to come over here and I was going to get free stuff. Um, they came over because they wanted a better life. And and by the way, it's rather ironic that my, my and my grandmother, I think, is the one that really gave me the patriotism that I have. She's the one who told me about how in the old country, how the government took all your money and, and you could work and hard and and, you know, work and work and work. And it didn't matter because the government took away all the extra money. And that was Denmark. I mean, listening to her, it kind of sounds like maybe the old Soviet Union, but it mm -hmm. was actually Denmark she was talking about. And we're kind of headed towards that way. And also, it's not like they came over and were mega millionaires. In fact, when she told me these stories, uh, they were retired. My grandparents were retired to a trailer. To, in a trailer park, although she would all, always correct me and say mobile home. <laughs> but, you know, it's <laughs> like they didn't have a lot of money, but they came yeah. here for the freedom to start their own company and work the hours they wanted to work <clears throat> and do the jobs that they wanted to do and make their own decisions. I, not, I have a, I have uh, a wall yeah, question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a wall question for Joe. Had she been the president instead of President Trump, would she have done whatever he did? Uh, it was an end around funding for the wall uh, that he uh, employed some em emergency power uh, regarding that funding. I can't remember. Leon's probably a little bit more informed on that, but he did an end around to fund the wall. And um, 
is is anybody is, am i making this up what's going on here yeah, <laughs> everybody's um, looking at me like i'm nuts yeah well in <laughs> fact some people asked me well so would you have torn down the wall and my answer was no because that would cost taxpayer dollars <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like i'm certainly not going to take money away from taxpayers to tear down a wall uh but by the way, you, uh, this is official. You've now asked me more immigration questions than I got <laughs> on the entire campaign. Because, <laughs> because uh, then, every, well, first of all, that, that wasn't one of my top three issues. And also, of course, we had Black Lives Matter and everything else going on. So, yes, yeah. yes. Leon, you yeah. derailed the whole discussion. Whatever topic you want. <laughs> well, but uh, I, I did, did bring up the idea that, okay, so you had the uh, immigration wasn't a big issue there. But I, I guess what were some of the big challenges and big issues for you running in 2020? Well, of course, um, so like four, three or four days after our convention, uh, George Floyd was killed. And so that immediately took the national focus, immediately. And then we started having you know Black Lives Matter um well, it, it popped up as an organization and as groups around the country, uh, but also protests. And so there were a lot of questions about that, which the nice thing about that was I was able to point out, you know, th th this is one of the things that is so frustrating to me, is that people are going to the government asking for help not realizing that the government is the one who caused it in the first place. For instance, yes. Rosa Parks was on a government-owned, government-run bus. If it were a private company, if, you know, like, what, and, and by the way, at the time, 70% of the ridership were Blacks. Now, imagine Uber, 70% um, of their customers were uh, Blacks, and Uber discriminated against them. I mean, they would go out of business as well they should. And, so, and, and, and also, you know, Blacks were doing very well after they were freed because, you know, they were all, the master craftsmen. They were the ones who were doing all the work, right? And so now they're free to set up their own businesses. And so what they did, they did what anybody does when they start a company, which is what I did when I started my company, which is to offer lower prices and, you know, work really hard to offer the best uh, service. And so basically, uh, they were doing great. And then the whites, instead of saying, okay, um, what should we do? I guess we'll just have to work harder, you know, give better quality and better service. No, they said, oh, we'll start passing laws. And then we get yes. into Jim Crow laws. And so yes. now we've got all these Black Lives Matter people saying we need the government to help us. And it's like, no, it's government that got you there. And, and the same thing, by the way, with pollution. Um, the environment was one of my top issues. And I, I was in a debate in Chicago with somebody who was in the Socialist Party, and she she kept saying, we need the government to stop pollution, right? And then at one point, she said, the Department of Defense is the largest polluter on the face of this earth. And I just wanted to say, did you just hear what you said? <laughs> you are actually going to the largest polluter on the face of this earth and asking for help reducing pollution. Please yeah. explain how that makes sense. 
Yeah. You know, and it's funny too, because you, you might ask her, have you ever been to China to see how China does as a government yeah. regarding pollution? I, it, it's funny. I, it, no kidding on this, but they used to essentially gaslight their people. Funny gaslight with pollution, but gaslight their people to say that, hey, it looks like another foggy day when literally it was that you couldn't see a block because of the smog in some of their cities. <laughs> it's but, yeah, it's clear. You look at a map of the globe and the the freest countries, the capitalistic countries are the ones with the less pollution. Mm. But it, the unfortunate thing about all of this, though, is that, you know, Jason, you're talking about this, this gaslighting by, by the manipulation of language, really and truly. You know, that is what is happening right here in this country right now today. We are seeing so many words now where people, even more fundamentally than that, people are now talking about my fruit. Could you imagine that? I mean, there's such a thing. Could you imagine there's such a thing as my fruit? You know, people think that whatever their vision of reality is, that is what it should be. You know, so, and all this thing about cancer culture and all oh sort of things. Gosh. People try to manipulate language. I am so glad I teach at a conservative-leaning school. I mean, it's not exactly a religious school, but, you know, it's not like the schools I see you know, California and, and, yeah. and other places where they won't. And, and, and real quick, Joe, where, where is Clemson located to? Is that? South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. We're, we're no more for a football team than, uh, <laughs> although a few years back, we were tied for number 20 in the top 20 public universities. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up too, when you were talking about the uh, uh, Jim Crow laws as well, and it's just because it's such a uh, it, it's such a contrast. Is that at the time that was happening, you can look at the Jackie Robinson story, and that's a case where literally he succeeded because there weren't laws. In I mean, they they certainly had laws in some of the Southern teams, but because uh, the uh, Brooklyn uh, Dodgers at the time did not have uh, anything barring him from joining that team, then they took him on out of competition. They just said, hey, we want the best players. And and it, right. in, in the end, the entire league wound up shifting without laws, you know, and in, in fact, in spite of some of the Southern laws, they wound up shifting just because they wanted to compete. So. Yeah. In fact, a, a couple of comments. First of all, I saw um, a study was done, a, a more recent study, not historical, but recent where some teams, and I believe this was in soccer, what what some other people call football, but um, but they did a calculation that if a team discriminates, it costs them like five percent of their wins or something like that. That or or, or costs them five percent more money. I, I I need to go back and review that study. But but you know basically, yeah, you want the the best player for the lowest money. And if you want to win, it shouldn't matter. Um, yes. And I'm going to make another point. I'm sorry. It, it uh, slipped my mm. mind with that. Oh, that's okay. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. It, notice it's, it's the government that's been discriminating. And if you look exactly. at the music, uh, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., right? Part of the rap pack. You know, you didn't have Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, discriminating they were like hey this guy's a great singer you know he's with us and if you watch or read any of the stories about muscle shoals uh you know music place in um alabama record where they would record 
uh, you know, they'd have black musicians and white musicians all together making music, but then they'd go into town to eat lunch and there'd be the sheriff. And it's like, they'd almost have to hide the fact that they were together. So again, it's not the average American who's being racist and discriminatory. It's the government. You know, you know, that is, that is so true what you're saying. Okay. If you look at the moral evils that have occurred in the United States, it always comes back to government power. Look at slavery. Slavery was legal. Jim Crow, again, legal. Look at the dependency syndrome that is going on and, and you've seen it's manifested in the inner cities. It's government power being used to do some of the most god-awful things you could be done to, that could be done to fellow human beings. Yep. Uh, yeah, and and uh, a friend of mine pointed out because some people, you know, people will give the argument, well, but people are evil, you know, so we need government. And he would point out, okay, which would you rather have, Charles Manson, you know, who tries to do is evil, or Hitler, who has the power of government behind for his evil? It's like, no, the, yes, because there are evil people in the world, you don't want the big stick of evil gov- of, of big government that they can wield. Well, yeah, yeah, Joe, one of the I wanted to take this back to your 2020 run, uh, and I wanted to ask you, um, you know, obviously, it almost seems like the ideal of candidates to run against. You had Donald Trump, and of course Joe Biden, who I, I personally think is the worst president maybe the world has ever seen. <laughs> but but <laughs> as, as far as you know, ideal candidates, and yet you know, so you couldn't even get on the debate stage with those guys. Is there anything that the Libertarian Party could have done better to help you, um, you know, and, and maybe as, you know, the, just to, for some insights for how they could have done better, I guess, to help you? Um, and uh, and is there any other lessons you took away from that 2020 run? Well, I was very pleased with the support we got from the National Party. And my campaign manager, uh, Steve Dosbach said from the start that he wanted this to be the most transparent campaign and the one that interfaced with national the best. And they would have weekly meetings and they gave us so much support. And in fact, um, it was thanks to them that we didn't step into doo-doo with our red triangles in our logo after, after, um, Donald Trump had his problems. So no, they were they were amazing. And also, uh, and Tara DeSisto pretty much ran this. There were a group of libertarian or libertarian-leaning people, let's say, with money, who were starting their own debate commission. And I can never remember that, you know, well, well, first of all, let me back up. When you listen to whatever the name of the debate commission was, and and to me, this is like, you know, Judeans people front or the people's front of Judea. I, I, I can never remember, you know, which, which one is which and what their names are. But um, the original debate commission, you, you, you hear a name that, you know, talks about debate commission, you think, oh, well, this must be the government running it. It must be impartial. But no, the debate commission was a private owned company that had half Democrats, half Republicans. And so that's how they kept libertarians out of the debate. They said, well, this is a private entity. You know, you're not invited, which yes, it is a private entity and they can do what they want. But 
the way it was labeled, it sounded like it was government, like government doesn't think that libertarian <laughs> should be there. So uh, another group started another debate commission, and we were actually, um, you know, in contact with the other campaigns. And in fact, somebody at headquarters was talking with um, Jared, or is that, wait, Jared Kushner, is that his name? Ivanka's husband. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yes. yeah, and so uh so Trump was was actually thinking that maybe he would do this. Uh Biden, however, wasn't, of course, <laughs> of course, he's he's not gonna debate any more than he has to. My hopes, though, you know, that first debate was so awful that they didn't even have the second debate. My hope was gonna be that that third debate was so bad that they would want another debate and that they would have a debate. I mean, they already had a place picked out in Chicago, they had it funded and you know, ready to go. And then um, you know, Biden was basically the one who said no and Trump did well enough that, you know, there was no reason for him to debate me alone. Well, yeah, it's too bad. I feel like if we could just get our ideas out there, uh, yep. the ideas would win the day. But, you know, we're just about at the end of the show. And James, could you bring up the visual real quick? Uh, People for Liberty is a place where you can go, where uh, you can find out more of what Joe is doing to organize for Liberty today and uh, find out about some of the things they're doing as well. Joe, did you have any last thoughts you wanted to share with the audience real quick? Yes, People for Liberty are the group that ran the Letter Speak campaign. And everybody complimented me like, oh, the 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 idea of, you know, your best idea in the campaign was the Letter Speak. But that wasn't ours. That was People for Liberty. And so a very small group of people with not much money was able to make a big difference. And so anybody who's interested, you know, the campaign's over. So right now, you know, you can't volunteer or donate you know, to a presidential candidate right now, or at least there's not a nominee chosen. So if you're looking to advance the cause of liberty, please check us out. Uh, we're, we're welcoming donations. We're welcoming volunteers, whatever you can do to help. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Joe, for joining us. And uh, again, you can check out a little more about a show we did recently with her on People for Liberty, so you can find out a little more about that organization as well. Uh, but thank you for joining us. And until next time, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, indeed. Joe, thank you. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.